Dude, we are going to energize the country. Stop Brexit. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Seamus and not sure this is a great idea. Hello and welcome to the Debated Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will. And in this episode, I'm joined by uh, Kieran Pedley, who is a pollster for Ipsos Mori and is the co-host of the um, political betting podcast, Polling Matters. Welcome to the podcast, Kieran. Thanks for having me. Um, So to begin with, I'd like to ask, perhaps maybe a bit of an obvious question, why does polling matter? (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's a big question. Um, why does polling matter? Well, I think fundamentally because it plays such a important role in our political discourse. So I think um, whether or not you like polls or you, you pay attention to them, it's very clear that politicians and the media who cover politics uh, certainly do. So, I mean, you don't have to look very far for examples of that. Um, just pick up a newspaper at the weekend or during the week when the when the pollsters have their numbers out. But I also think um, more than just um, thinking about media tittle-tattle or the sort of speculation in Westminster around numbers, I think it's pretty clear that when, for example, David Cameron was deciding to call a referendum on Britain's membership of the European Union, um, you might say he didn't uh, 100% do that because of the polls. He may have genuinely believed that um, this was an important issue to settle, but it was clear at the time that the Tories were losing a substantial amount of their vote to UKIP, and that was seen in real-world elections and in the defections of Douglas Carswell and Mark Reckless at the time. Mm-hmm. It was also shown in polls, and there was a suggestion at the time that um, the Tories might lose their majority or even lose uh, office uh, to Ed Miliband because of this UKIP threat. So it clearly uh, was going to be on his mind. And I think more recently, if we fast forward to 2017, I take I would take some convincing, shall I say, mm-hmm. that Theresa May didn't call an election because she thought she would win. Why did she think she would win? Well, because the polls show that she was 20 odd points ahead. Um, and indeed, the local elections during that general election campaign seemed to validate that. So mm. I think we can be sure those polls were right at the time. So it play, they, they play a really important um, role in our democracy um, without putting uh, too fine a point on it, without being mm. too sort of hyperbolic about it. So there's that. And I think secondly, they can they're, they're the best i mean i always say they're the best independent way of having a view on what the public generally think um mm. there are lots of partisan actors in the media in commentary newspapers have their political leanings and so on um pundits have their perception of what's going on but actually um for all the faults and, and challenges that polls can have um it's still the best way of trying to get an independent view of what's going on so i think they matter because of those two reasons mm. um now Bringing up the 2017 result, a lot, of course, a lot of people were somewhat shocked by the result because of the polling, and certain polling companies changed their methodology um, because of this. Do you think that all pollsters should or could settle around one form of weighing that actually works, and if not, why do you think they won't? So we're talking about, I think we're talking about here weighting uh, the numbers. Um, Mm. So just to explain a bit about this for people that might not know. So um, what typically happens is a pollster will uh, get a nationally representative sample um, through by demographic means. So age, gender, um, the region you live in, um, 
uh, your working status is often used. I mean, different different pollsters use different uh, quota samples mm. uh, to try and get a nationally representative sample. But then there's also a question of um, how politically representative your sample is as well. So um, what I mean by that is just because you interview the right number of men and women, the right number of different age groups, different people in different areas of the country and so on, doesn't mean um, that you'll get something that's politically representative. You might get too many people, for example, that voted mm. conservative at the last election, uh, as one example. So there are waiting uh, decisions that have to be made by different pollsters to, to try and figure out how do we know that we're asking voting intention polling, which is the one that um, people tend to focus on the most, although I, I, I maybe could come on to why I don't think that should always be the case. Mm. Um, so people have to decide um, how best they're going to sort of correct, for want of a better phrase, uh, the natural sample they achieve uh, to be politically representative. Now, I don't think you're ever going to end up in a situation where there is just one rule for how that works. Mm. Um, not, I, I, don't think it would be a, I don't think it would be a good idea either. Um, Ultimately, pollsters are going to disagree on the best way of doing things. Um, mm. So to, to go on a side note for so to, to go to go off on a side note for one second, um, when we talk about the the past, how did you vote last time? There's a big debate about what you should do with that information. So mm. should you wait your numbers to be directly matching how people voted at the last election, so that 42% said they voted Conservative, 40% but Labour, and so on, or should you allow some degree of uh, a space for false recall where people either don't tell you the truth because they're embarrassed how they mm. voted last time, or they genuinely, and this does happen, believe it or not, they genuinely don't remember, or should you just ignore it completely because you mm. don't know what the... Um, the right balance between false recall and, uh, and, and stated how you voted last time uh, stated is correct. So people are going to have different views on that. And our view is that we don't wait by past vote. Others have a different view. Um, so I don't I don't really know how it would work for someone to say, you know, this is the way you have to do it. Hmm. Um, I suppose there is a logistical question about would that be for the British Election Council? Would the um, uh, uh, so, sorry, the British Polling Council, or would that be through uh, some sort of statutory regulation? So there's a whole sort of logistical question there. But also, more importantly, I think the problem is that it sort of stifles innovation. I mean, we did see at the last election that there were different. Um, so you know, YouGov came out with their MRP modelling, for example, which turned out to be highly successful, but was mm. derided at the time in many quarters. Um, if we if we have sort of state regulation, or if we have just some sort of like um, formulaic way that everyone has to do things well then you miss out on potential innovations that could be quite important um, to get things right and i guess the final point i would say on this is that just because every pollster has the same number doesn't mean that they're right and we saw that in 2015 like most pollsters had a very similar view of the race mm. uh, and it was wrong so i think i don't think that arriving at one figure is, is sensible I, I i cringe when i see people taking averages of the polls because <laughs> I mean, I think this obsession with having one number that Labour are on 25 or whatever it might be, uh, it, it might be comforting. It might be uh, to have things. It might be comforting to have things simple, but things are rarely simple. And I think mm. as long as we can understand noise and statistics and things, or at least try to, then I don't see a problem with that if we're transparent with what we're doing. Mm. Uh, just to um, go on to your point about the problem sometimes people have with either recalling which way that they voted in the past or lying about uh, the way that they voted in the past. Do you think that this is something that specifically um, applies more in um, British election and British polling than opposed to, say, in America or to France or in Germany? Do, do you think that it's just something that just happens around the world or is there some sort of like 
a particular anomaly of it happening more in Britain? I mean, I must say, I'm not an expert in all of those countries and how mm-hmm. they do polling. Um, so what I would say is, I think I don't think there's any particular problem mm-hmm. with the UK. I think that um, about people recalling how they voted, it's probably as much to do with how we are collecting samples and how we are trying to get representative samples in the UK, uh, which is you know, a challenge. And obviously, we're, we're working very hard to um, to deal with that as as um, we go through this political realignment along different demographic uh, sort of uh, grounds. So, for example, as education and um, age become more important in determining how people vote, then obviously having the right type of sample in those particular areas is going to be more important, whereas perhaps in the past socioeconomic grade was uh, something that was you know, particularly important. And equally, mm. um, getting representative samples in different regions of the country is is going to be important too. I, I believe in the US they don't wait typically wait by past vote, um, mm. but people can feel free to check up on that. Um, but so, I mean, waiting by past vote is something that pretty much came in as a consequence of the 1992 polling miss, mm. um, and that was all the whole shy Tory phenomenon. Doesn't seem that that's always uh, that's that may have been a one election deal. So I don't know if there's a particular UK specific issue uh, with that. I think different pollsters will have different views on how to fix it. And as long as you're transparent, and that's the rules, you've got to be transparent. Then um, hopefully people can take a judgment on what the right answer is. But that's that's on polling day when we know what the result is. Mm. Um, you mentioned uh, before that people sometimes sort of like have obsessions over having a particular number, you know, sort of like uh, the averages of polls and all this sort of thing. Do you think that there is a bit of a uh, strange idea that some people have about particular polling companies and which has more value than the others? Like you'll see on Twitter and across a lot of social media, a lot of people... um, perhaps mainly on the left, saying that, for example, YouGov is um, owned by the Conservatives and therefore its polls aren't worth as much as, say, another polling company. Do, do you think this is some sort of, like, myth that has built up over time? And and if so, how can we dispel it? Well, I mean, you, you bring up YouGov um, specifically. I mean, I, I'm obviously, like, as, as uh, someone from Ipsos Mori, I don't want to uh, comment too much <laughs> on um, sort of individual... Mm pollsters but i mean what i will say is that i mean the whole yougov being tory owned thing is just clearly something that people uh who have a partisan uh reason to want to dismiss uh yougov polling will come up with there's absolutely zero evidence that yougov do anything improper there so it's just mm. this you, you ultimately i think you're going to you're going to get this with social media, which gives mm. a voice to everybody. Um, YouGov, uh, at the moment, along with ourselves, I think, to be fair and, and opinion, tend to give bigger Tory leads at the moment. Uh, mm. But that's not because there's agendas there. That's just partly because of uh, uh, the way um, we calculate voting intention. And again, I go back to the central premise. As long as you're transparent with how you do things um, and why, you, why you're getting the results you're getting, then people can form their own judgments on what's happening. I mean, look, pollsters get criticism. I mean, other pollsters will get criticism for um, the questions that they ask and uh, whether they're seen as leading or or suiting a particular um, agenda. Again, I I keep coming back to the central thing. As long as people are transparent Mm. with what they do, um, 
the reader has to be uh, the judge. But you know, nobody that I'm aware of in polling is manipulating their numbers to suit a particular cause. And I think, you know, without sort of, I'm not here to talk defend you, Gov, but like, um, they they did have their model that came out uh, at the last election and said hung Parliament when mm. others didn't. So uh, that's a funny looking way of being uh, uh, having a conspiracy against Labour, isn't it? So I think mm. just you, you have to, you have to sort of tune out of what party activists say online sometimes because I mean I understand it if you're committed to a particular cause and you have no particular reason to um, be, be be partial as it were then sorry to be impartial then um, you'll come out of this stuff but I, I, don't, I don't pay too much attention to it mm. um, now you're talking about um, the role that uh, partisanship plays uh, quite often in the way that people react to polls and I know that um, You've recently been doing uh, some work at the Labour Party conference, and a lot of people in the Labour Party have a feeling that, oh, well, it doesn't matter what um, Jeremy Corbyn's approval rating is, it doesn't matter where the, con- uh, where the Labour Party is in terms of the polls, um, come a general election, Labour will be able to um, beat the Conservatives and win, or at least come out as the largest party. What sort of um, things have you found when looking at these sort of like presumptions that polling and polling positions don't matter in relation to the Labour Party? I mean, they certainly they, they certainly matter. I mean, if if, if the suggestion is that um, Labour can improve mm. at, the, uh, at the next election uh, on the basis that it started the 2017 election very significantly behind and and improved and obviously as we know denied the conservatives a majority if if the uh, position of people in the labor party is that that can happen again uh, maybe even they do better than last time i, I don't think that's a, i don't think that's a position that mm. can be dismissed at all i mean i think that there is certainly because um, it's happened two years ago. So mm. I, I would certainly not say, so for example, we have the Conservatives in our most recent poll, nine points ahead of Labour. So 33 for the Tories, 24 for Labour, 23 for Lib Dems. Mm. It's absolutely conceivable that in a general election that narrows. I mean, part of the problem for Labour at the moment is twofold, and they're kind of related, I think. Uh, one is that Jeremy Corbyn himself is just unpopular. So his current um, net satisfaction rating is minus 60. So mm. what I mean by that is um, 76% of the public say they're dissatisfied with the job he's doing as Labour leader. 16% say they're satisfied. And if you subtract one from the other, that's minus 60. Mm. That is the worst score any leader of the opposition has ever got um, mm. in our Ipsos Mori political monitor. And we've been tracking these numbers since um, 1977. So this isn't just someone's a bit unpopular. He is the most unpopular um, of all time. But then, you know, the question comes in an election campaign, can he change that? And in in 2017, in March, he was on minus 41 um, and he ended up going into the election on minus 11. And in fact, shortly after the election, he was on minus one. And this stuff matters because and I'm throwing a lot of numbers out here, but this this stuff matters because in our series, the only opposition leaders that have become prime minister, Thatcher, um, Blair and Cameron, um, had positive ratings going into mm. uh, going into the general election. So this stuff is, I mean, rules are there to be broken, but it's a useful sense check of where we think we are. Right now, his rating is minus 60. So clearly, I mean, I, I'm not, not trying to be flippant here, but clearly he's got an awful long way to go mm. uh, to get to positive territory. But when I when we say that his leader ratings um, with Labour voters are currently um, plus 10, then it's clearly 
areas for him to improve among his own supporters. So that can improve. So that's point one. Um, point two um, is that the Brexit policy of the Labour Party is under a sort of intense scrutiny, obviously. And if you look at the dynamics of why Labour is uh, losing so much vote share since 2017, so it's gone from what, 40 points in that election to mm. we've got them in the mid-20s now, and others have them slightly higher, some have them slightly lower. Um, one of the factors behind that is the hemorrhaging votes to the Liberal Democrats. And you don't need polling to tell you that that's true. You can see it in the local election results this year, and you can mm. see it in the um, European election results as well. So I think we can be sure that this is a real thing. Um, and when we ask people in our polling to, that have switched from lab to lib, why? I mean, it's the twin factors of the Liberal Democrats' um, clear policy on remaining in the EU and Labour's perceived ambiguity mm. over this, uh, over its Brexit policy. I know Labour people will dispute that, but that there is that perception out there um, is a real problem for them. So they're going into a general election where Corbyn needs to improve his personal ratings an awful lot. Um, I think he will improve them. Mm. Um, whether it's enough, I don't know. Um, and because I, I think the challenge for Labour is going to be that the Liberal Democrats aren't going to vanish into their sort of single digits that they were last time. Mm. Um, but I suppose if you're going to be an optimist on the Labour side, then maybe the Liberal Democrats will hurt the Conservatives uh, just as much as they will Labour in a general election in different ways. So they might take more votes off Labour, but they'll take more seats off the Lib Dems or something like that. Um, so obviously a, a lot, lots of challenges for Labour. I think the general mood, though, at Labour Party conferences being there sort of just milling around. And uh, I was reasonably optimistic on the activist front, although that was the day mm. of the Supreme Court judgment. So that was a very specific set of circumstances. Mm. Do you think that polling influences the way that particular party policies go oh yeah i mean 100 percent politicians uh, listen to polling so you know they might tell you that they don't um but ultimately they're in the business of winning votes and one of the ways to at least try to understand Mm -hmm. how they can do that is to look at uh, a polling there's two different ways of looking at it of course um you can look at the numbers to to try and tell you what you should do so should we so we use okay let's continue to use labor as an example so they might be looking at it to say right should we uh, offer a second referendum which they now seem to be doing uh should we back remain explicitly or be neutral like they'll be they'll be testing that i'm sure um but you can also uh, use polling and uh, research like focus groups and things like that to try and um see how what the best way is to put forward a policy you've already decided so um you know you pick a policy but you know sometimes uh, leaderships will decide they want to usually in government that they want to put forward something that's quite unpopular um, because they think it's necessary. So you, then you've got to think about, OK, well, we're going to do this because we think it's necessary. Um, so or, or just because they want to do it, maybe it doesn't have to be unpopular. Um, how are we going to sell this to the public? What's the right way to do it? And also, similarly, when you're talking about politicians themselves, um, you know, people like uh, we've recently had a leadership contest in the Conservative Party. I'm sure that the different candidates would have been looking at, right, how do we how do, what's the message? What's the strengths of my candidacy that I can put forward? Um, I don't think it's a coincidence, for example, that Sajid Javid uh, always talked about you know, being the son of a bus driver, for example, or uh, Jeremy Hunt talked about his business background. Um, Boris Johnson talked about Brexit. You know, the, people will have looked at what the strengths or weaknesses of their candidacies are, and they'll try and uh, leverage their strengths and mitigate their weaknesses. So polling certainly does have a, a, a very strong role in what politicians do. I mean, 
I might I might surprise some people. I, I wouldn't say even as a pollster that I think politicians should just decide what they're going to do on every individual policy on the basis of opinion polls. I mean, I think it's useful to, to take the temperature of the public and to see what uh, people think about you and what you're doing. But ultimately, leadership is about just that. It's about leadership. And you know, sometimes you have to take unpopular decisions that may um, stand the test of time, even if short term public opinion says that they're not the right things to do. So I guess in short, what I would say is that, you know, like any situation, you want to use all the information at your disposal. Uh, polling is one one source of data, one source of information that, that has its uses. But obviously, it wouldn't it'd be pretty silly to just be beholden to one source. You've got to look at everything and make your own judgment. Mm. Uh, now, I think um, you have, um, Ipsos Mori has done some uh, polling recently on the attitudes that uh, people have to the establishment, what sorts of things have you have you found there? Yeah, so this is an interesting one because I think it's quite common for people to talk about the establishment in inverted commas. And I use inverted commas because no one really defines what it means, um, although there's a sort of intangible sense of it means people in charge. Hmm. Um, but it's, it's quite an easy sort of... Um, Maybe straw man's a bit strong, but it's, it's an easy thing to build up this kind of vague notion of the establishment to rail against. Um, so we were quite interested in that. So we, we, we asked um, a poll, we, we had a poll out, national representative sample, where we asked about 16 different organizations and individuals ranging from political parties and their leaders to the queen to different elements of the British state, like mm. civil service or journalists and stuff like that, and asked people whether they thought these different organizations and people were on the side, more on the side of of the British people, more on the side of the British establishment, um, were neither, uh, both equally, or they didn't know. And um, it should be said that on average, about half will say neither or don't know. Mm. They can't necessarily make a, a sort of distinction. But about half will, will be able to uh, do that. I think I think some of the results are interesting. And people can look at the numbers um, in more detail on our website and if they follow me on Twitter. But um, fundamentally, what's interesting is that Leave voters and Remain voters have very different views on what the quote-unquote establishment is. Mm. Leave voters are much more likely to think that people like Jeremy Corbyn, Joe Swinson, judges, uh, the Labour Party and Lib Dems are on the side of the establishment rather than mm. the people, whereas almost the reverse is true of Remainers. They tend to think, well, it's the Conservative Party, it's Boris Johnson, mm. uh, it's the Brexit Party, Nigel Farage, MPs that want to... Um, leave the European Union and so on. So clearly what you mean by the establishment tends a little bit, uh, depends a little bit on the sort of prism through which you, you see the world. And I think that's um, significant in, in, in a sort of potential election where people want to define it or some people want to define it as establishment versus the people. I suppose the one caveat to this is that, I mean, from, from a Boris Johnson's perspective, if that is the line he wants to go down, um, uh, you, there's pros and cons to it. I think the pro would be that he doesn't necessarily need to convince the majority of the public that he's on the side of the people, just those leave voters. And there does seem to be a sense that, um, that they, they kind of do echo that sentiment. Um, but there is a there is something interesting, I think, that overall among the general public, the top two for um, on the side of the establishment were the Conservative Party and Boris Johnson. So there's something in the brand of the Conservative Party that still is seen in the minds of the public as a uh, very sort of establishment. But I think I should, I mean, I, as a good researcher, I should say, you know, 
there is um, always caveats to this sort of stuff. Mm. What the establishment means can mean different things to different people, and um, you know, we, we recognise that. And I'm not, and we didn't put a definition to people, so it is an intangible that people have to sort of form in their own minds. But I do think that uh, it, it is interesting that it means different things to different people. Uh, well, um, uh, we're coming to the end of the podcast. Thank you very much for being on, Kieran. It's been great to have you on. Um, I'd just like to ask one final question if there was anything that you could sort of that you could have a poll about any subject no matter how absurd that you wanted to know what the british people thought of it one way or the other what would it be oh gosh um (laughs) i mean i'm inclined to do something spurs related but i won't do that um well I, i i that's a that's a difficult question to answer. I think um, I'm always interested in some of the more fun stuff around you know, mm. whether people believe in aliens or uh, yeah. you know, uh, kind of uh, was the moon landing faked and things like that. But I think some of the most interesting polling that I mean I've seen, which um, is kind of at the risk of plugging ourselves, uh, <laughs> is something Ipsos Mori have done, which I think is quite illustrative of um, uh, part of the challenge. Uh, we've got in all of this which is that um it's called a perils of perception study where um ipsos mori will ask people okay you know um what do you think the uh i don't know the official rate of uh, teenage pregnancy is or how mm. what do you think the proportion of unemployed people in the country are or how what proportion of the population do you think are, are, are uh, were born abroad or immigrants this sort of thing and you see wildly i mean people just are wrong about everything almost uh to uh, it's not even an exaggeration people just don't generally know um what, they, they don't necessarily have the facts as it were and as it's interesting that follows on to an interesting uh, debate about truth and uh, do we live in a post-truth society and stuff mm. like that. So I suppose related to those things, the fact that people are generally not necessarily as informed as they think they are and um, that the politicians are co- cottoning on to that in quite shameless ways, you think of Donald Trump uh, in particular. I suppose what I would like to know is why it is that people are kind of disengaged Mm. Don't don't particularly engage in current affairs, um, and more importantly, what can be done to change that? Because I think, without being too sort of um, uh, West Wing about things, you know how the country is run and the people that lead it uh, is very important, has a real tangible, lasting impact on people's lives. So it is a shame when people are disengaged from that and feel, and perhaps because for legitimate reasons, they, they, they show a lot of apathy. I mean, I'm not saying it's their fault. Mm. Um, so that's how we can engage people um, to everyone's benefit more would be something that I'd be interested in. But that's a big, big question. And like, <laughs> I, don't know, I, don't, I don't know if one poll is going to so, solve that problem, but it's definitely an area that I'm interested in. Well, that was a great answer. Thank you for coming on the podcast, Kieran. You're more no than welcome to come on any time again. Uh, <clears throat> well, thank you for listening to the podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify and YouTube. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and you can email us uh, at podcast at gmail.com. So thank you for listening and I hope you listen to the next one. Mm-hmm.